Welcome to Feel Better, Live More Bite Size, your weekly dose of positivity and optimism to get you ready for the weekend. Today's Bite Size is brought to you by AG1, one of the most nutrient-dense whole food supplements that I've come across, and I myself have been drinking it regularly for over five years. It contains vitamins, minerals, probiotics, prebiotics, digestive enzymes, and so much more and can help with energy, focus, gut health, digestion, and support a healthy immune system. If you go to drinkag1.com forward slash live more, they are giving my listeners a very special offer, a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first order. See all details at drinkag1.com forward slash live more. Today's clip is from episode 356 of the podcast with medical doctor and longevity expert, Dr. Peter Atiyah. In this clip, Peter shares why he believes that exercise is the area we need to focus on the most when it comes to our health and longevity. In the book, you make the case that exercise may well be the most potent longevity intervention that exists. Do you still stand by that? And if so, why do you put that right at the top? Uh, The answer to the first question is very simple. Yes, I I certainly do. Um, And the answer to the second question is also quite simple, which is it really is not a matter of opinion. It is simply a matter of the data. The data make it abundantly clear. Maybe for the sake of the audience, we can explain what a hazard ratio is, right? So a, a hazard ratio is a number that communicates the relative risk of one condition relative to another. So, uh, for example, the hazard ratio associated with all-cause mortality for a smoker versus a non-smoker is about 1.4. And so, statistically, what that means is a smoker is about 40% more likely to die in any given year than a non-smoker all other things being equal. That's what the 1.4 means. And, you know, if we were to look at something, some intervention, I'm making this up, but, you know, drinking a certain type of tea, if that had a hazard ratio of 0.91, we would say that that intervention is associated with a 9% relative reduction in risk. If the hazard ratio is one, it means there's no difference. Okay. So that's, that's the math on hazard ratios. So When you look at the hazard ratios associated with all-cause mortality, and of course, all-cause mortality is the gold standard of thinking about lifespan. Let's consider the known things that rob people of lifespan. Type 2 diabetes, high blood pressure, coronary artery disease, smoking, end-stage renal disease. Those would be the big ones. What are the hazard ratios associated with each of those conditions? Well, At one end of the spectrum, you'd see hypertension has a hazard ratio of about 1.2. It's about a 20% increase in all-cause mortality, meaning you're 20% more likely in any year to die than someone who's otherwise equal without hypertension. Smoking, as I said, is about 1.4, 1.41. Coronary artery disease, about 1.3. Type 2 diabetes, about the same. End-stage renal disease, about 2.75, somewhere between 1.75 and 2.75, so anywhere from a 75 to 175% increase. But now, when you do the same analysis based on different metrics of cardiorespiratory fitness, strength, and muscle mass, 
the numbers are simply bigger and they're bigger by a lot. So for example, when you look at comparing the VO2 max of somebody in the bottom 25% of the population for their age and sex, so meaning someone in the bottom quarter of their age and sex in terms of maximal oxygen uptake, which is a test that we can readily do on people. It's a measure of peak aerobic capacity. And you compare that to someone in the top 2% of the same age and sex, the hazard ratio is five, slightly over five, meaning it's a 400% difference in all-cause mortality. In fact, if you just go from being in the bottom 25th percentile to being slightly above average, from the 50th to 75th percentile, the hazard ratio difference is 2.75, meaning it's even more significant than having end-stage renal disease. I could go through this analysis all day long, and I could do the same thing for muscle mass, and I could do the same thing for strength. But across the board, the difference in all-cause mortality is significantly wider when it comes to measures of strength and fitness than it is for any disease condition we know. And so the corollary of all of this is, by definition, whatever it is you have to do to have that higher VO2 max, greater muscle mass, and greater strength must be hands down the most potent thing we have at our disposal to live longer. And of course, the only way one can have those things is through the right type of exercise. Yeah, I really appreciate how you broke that down, Peter. Very, very clear. I think it would be useful to talk about your four horsemen because I think it's such a beautiful concept for people to get their heads around the kind of core philosophy behind your approach. So when you want to think about lifespan, it seems only logical that one must have a great understanding of what the impediments are to lifespan. In other words, what takes our life away? And for a non-smoker, this can be pretty easily distilled into the big four. And the big four are the diseases of atherosclerosis, so cardiovascular and cerebrovascular disease, far and away number one, followed by cancer. Number three is neurodegenerative disease and related dementias. And then the fourth horseman is not so much on the list because of the number of lives that it directly takes, but because of the number of lives that it indirectly takes. And that's less a disease and more of a spectrum. The spectrum ranging from insulin resistance and NAFLD or non-alcoholic fatty liver disease all the way to type 2 diabetes. It's basically what we think of as the metabolic diseases, which again, in terms of how often those diseases show up on the death certificate as the proximate cause of death is not that large, but it's how those things amplify the risk of the other three horsemen by typically about twofold. So what we really want to be careful of is understanding that when you have type 2 diabetes, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, insulin resistance, your risk of cancer, neurodegenerative disease, and heart disease goes up significantly. And so by understanding everything we can about the four horsemen, we have a chance to delay their onset. And that's really the objective here. I don't think we are in a situation, barring science fiction, to completely eliminate the horsemen. Uh, certainly, some of these diseases seem somewhat inevitable to our species. Um, cancer, for example, at the end of the day, 
is ultimately a tug of war between acquired genetic mutations that alter cellular properties and the ability of our immune system to detect them and evade them. But we can certainly delay these. And we have great proof already that that happens. And the proof exists in the long-lived people, the so-called centenarians, people who live already to the age of 100 or more. And we know from studying these people that their superpower is not living longer with the four horsemen. It's living longer without the four horsemen. Once they come down with the same diseases as the rest of us, the time it takes for them to die is about the same. It's that they get the diseases about two decades later than everybody else. Yeah. And that's what we have to figure out. Right now, are there any generic health recommendations you can make to people without knowing their personal history? Yeah, I mean, I think the the most obvious ones would certainly be around exercise, adequate sleep, and adequate protein consumption. I mean, I think those are three almost across the board Mm. recommendations that can be made. Now, what adequate means will differ for different people. So, so for me, the amount of exercise that I now need, given my training history, right? I've been exercising, you know, my entire life. So for me to receive what we would call the training effect requires me to do quite a bit. Whereas a person who doesn't exercise only requires about three hours a week to get an even greater benefit than I'm probably getting incrementally going mm. from say nine hours a week to 12 hours a week, if I were to make a change of that, that magnitude. So the details still matter, but exercise really has shown no upper bound in terms of benefit, at least through the lens of strength, muscle mass, and most importantly, cardiorespiratory fitness. There is, there does not appear to be an upper bound of benefit, but that doesn't mean there isn't an upper bound to what you do in the pursuit of those things in terms of time and opportunity cost and also using injury as a risk. I mean, I do have a patient who was just hell-bent on getting 20,000 steps a day. This became like this person's mission in life. Well, until they developed an injury in their foot from walking so much because it turns out their mechanics and their shoes weren't really optimally suited for what they were doing. So in pursuit of something that was clearly beneficial, they actually created a little bit of a, of yeah. a problem. For, for people who go, okay, I get it. I, I get your philosophy. It's about getting stuck in earlier and not waiting till it's too late or very late before I start addressing things around my health and my longevity. I always like to finish the podcast with some sort of actionable take-homes for my audience. So for that person who does feel inspired and goes, okay, right, you've convinced me. I'm going to get on top of this now. I'm 40 years old. I'm not going to, it's not going to happen to me. What happened to my father or my brother or my granddad or whatever. I want to take control of my life and my health. What would you say to them? What you want to do is take advantage of the fact that you're 40, right? And take advantage of the fact that you have hopefully four or five decades ahead of you on which to compound benefit. This is a much different proposition than if you're in the last few years of your life, what what I call the marginal decade, and you realize, oh, I want to do something about it. There's still value in making change at any point, but you're going to be able to move the needle less. So if you're talking about this through the lens of somebody who's in midlife or even younger, 
what you want to do is say, what changes can I make consistently? You know, I often say, I'd much rather someone do seven out of 10 work every single day than do 10 out of 10 work some days and zero out of 10 work other days. The, the ping ponging back and forth tends to produce inferior results. As far as what to do, if your VO2 max is at the 25th percentile, that's an enormous opportunity. You have to be doing the type of training that's going to increase VO2 max, both increasing your aerobic efficiency, your base of aerobic fitness, and your peak. If by extension, your VO2 max is already at the 80th percentile, but your muscle mass and strength are at the 20th percentile, then that's where you just need to disproportionately train while you you know, do things to maybe maintain your aerobic fitness. You know, again, this, the list goes on and on. If your sleep is really the thing that's suffering, then that's where you need to focus. If you're overnourished and under muscle, then you're going to be focusing on strength training, protein, and calorie reduction. And that's probably going to be your biggest focus to get back onto a level playing field of health. Hope you enjoyed that bite-sized clip. Do spread the love by sharing this episode with your friends and family. And if you want more, why not go back and listen to the original full conversation with my guest. If you enjoyed this episode, I think you will really enjoy my bite-sized Friday email. It's called The Friday Five. And each week I share things that I do not share on social media. It contains five short doses of positivity, articles or books that I'm reading, quotes that I'm thinking about, exciting research I've come across, and so much more. I really think you're going to love it. The goal is for it to be a small yet powerful dose of feel good to get you ready for the weekend. You can sign up for it free of charge at drchatterjee.com forward slash Friday 5. Hope you have a wonderful weekend. Make sure you have pressed subscribe and I'll be back next week with my long form conversation on Wednesday and the latest episode of Bite Science next Friday. <laughs>